Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. I love it when you come back from holidays in the middle of the week. It's a nice short week and the first Friday. <laughs> it's always good to get to it. You know the way you come back from a holiday and you think, Jesus, I need a holiday. That exhaustion that it hits you when you come back. And then, of course, we had a, a family funeral on top of it all, but it's good to get to Friday. Um, good to be here with you. 0818 96 96 96. The number of the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. Now, weather wise, um, Alan at Carlo is quietly suggesting that we'll be getting some back to school weather, which I know is so flippant typical of this country. Um, he was getting grief the last couple of days and I really wish people would let the boy alone in that regard he predicted Wednesday spot on as a bright sunny warm day in the middle of a bleak and fairly crap week he predicted that over a week ago which is why I was so confident I could bring some sunshine home from Lance Roddy with me um, but then people were giving out to him for this that and the other He's telling us in his latest series of tweets now that it looks as if this weather of ours will improve starting uh, the back end of the weekend. So less rain next week. And then as we head towards back to school, a bit of an improvement and maybe getting a little bit warmer. We say it with trepidation now, but maybe getting a little bit warmer. We'll see. We'll see. And... There's a thing, you know, over over the years watching the weather, as you do, September in Ireland can be pretty nice, you know. Last year was gorgeous. I remember being away down west for a weekend and it was beautiful. So we'll 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 keep the fingers crossed on the weather so we will. 
One nightmare though at this time of year for many parents, so many parents. I remember it like it was yesterday, although thankfully we were always able to, to pull the cash together. The cost of going back to school. It's a week or two where you, and I'm sure parents do, lose sleep. They make enormous sacrifices. I'm sure there are parents who will miss a dinner because instead of putting food in front of themselves, there's copybooks to be bought and pencils and rulers and calculators and books and uniforms and all that stuff. I know Joe out at um, Joseph Terry Salon is doing his usual magic and all the other charities around town doing theirs. Feed Cork, uh, of whom we've spoken many times and to whom we've spoken many times, are doing stationary packs over the next while. Hemp Serwins is the director down there, joins me. Morning, Hemp. Great idea. Hey, good morning, PJ. When have uh, you started doing this? Thanks, PJ. Uh, this is our fifth year now, PJ. We, we started one year in, uh, partnering with the Department of Social Protection, and uh, this year... I think over the, the cumulative years we've done, this will be over 20,000 school packs now we've been able to, to help distribute to families that need them. Great work. Great work. Is there a, an increasing need, Hemp? <clears throat> yeah, PJ, you know as well as I do what's going on with the cost of living. Everybody, we, we're seeing more people, uh, working class people that were just barely scraping by before, uh, accessing our services so over I, I was sharing with someone that rang me there from from 96 FM that uh, we've doubled uh, in capacity since January uh, we we roughly support around 1300 clients um, and now we're up over 3,000 probably uh, 3200 clients 2,000 of those are families. So that's an annual, you know, that would be an annual figure now. So we've seen an increase, uh, and and it has been, you know, it's been kind of shocking for us the, the, uh, what's been happening. There's plenty of work out there. We have almost full employment in the economy, but so much of it is low-paid yeah. work that even people who are that's working right. full-time can't make ends meet. That's right. And that's what we're seeing. That's that's the demographics that we're seeing. And we started this to help on the other side of homelessness to keep people in their homes. There's so many people doing wonderful work, like Katrina uh, at Penny Dinners, yeah. others helping with the homeless on that side. So we started on the other side trying to give those food supports and emergency food supports to families. Um, and thankfully, we've been able to, to help some, you know, with some, with some success. Um, you know, help help some families stave off the wolf at the door and keep them in their homes. What is in your stationary packs? Who's entitled to have them and where can they get them? So it's all the basics. Uh, it, it would be everything that you would need that would be on a, a common list that students would take home. So we have uh, stationary packs from, from junior infants all the way up to uh, secondary. So we don't have, some people call, they call us about the college age, but we don't have those. They're not supplied by the Department of Social Protection. But these packs are really, you know, on average, I would say anywhere from 25 to 35 euros worth of value in stationery. So you get your pencils, your color markers, your rulers, your mass sets, uh, your copy books, 
there's there's uh, folders, there's file folders. There's it's it's really um, it's 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 a it's a good little uh, pack for for parents and for kids, and it just helps to go that little bit extra mile for sure. for people. Yeah, because if you have a couple yeah. of kids, they all need that stuff. You if you three kids, that that's a hundred quid, and you and you might not you might not have it. How, how can people exactly. who need it get it? So what we what we do, we open to the public. Our clients would get it when they come in to visit with us. Um, beginning next Wednesday and Thursday and onward towards school. But we do two days that are open to the public this Saturday. Last year we did one. This year we're doing two because we have, last year we had 3,500. This year we have 4,500. So what we do is we open up on a Saturday at our premises at Court Church on Lower Oliver Plunkett Mm. Street. At the back of Connolly Hall is where people will find it. Yeah, exactly. That's right. The back of SIP2 there. Um, we're going to be open there from 10 to 3 tomorrow. Uh, all we do ask is that people, because of, you know, just because of some people that might take advantage, not many would, but there's a small percentage that would. We, we do just ask that you bring a photo ID and just something of proof of, if you say you have five kids, say a medical card for each or a PPS number for each, none of those details are collected. It's just to ensure that you know, it's going to the to the right. Uh, you know, to the to the number of kids that would need okay. it. You know, just a small little bit of evidence that, that that you are who you say you exactly. are. Exactly. From, from ten till three yeah. tomorrow at the back of the back of Sip to right. Connolly Hall, and you operate outside of the stationery. Uh, let me know your latest operating hours, Hemp, when you're there, and what else you yeah. provide. Yeah. So. Yeah, so Wednesday and Thursday, we're open from uh, 10.30 to 12.30. Uh, we do appointment only now because of the because we've had to spread it out, and, and just logistically, that's, what we, that's all we can do. Uh, so if anybody needs food support, emergency food support, it's not a, you know, this isn't, you know, some people need it every week. We, we kind of, we suss that out. But if you're in a pinch and that, you can make an appointment. You go to Facebook. We, we Social media, we're big on social media. Our, we're having a bit of issues with our with our email and our website at the moment, but that's getting fixed. But uh, we're, we're primarily, uh, you can do that. You can find a number on there as well and text mm. and show up with a SMS, the text, and uh, register there. Um, and, you know, you come down. You're welcomed at the door. It's a nice. We have a free cafe. People can come in, teas, coffees, while they sit uh, for their appointment. So they go through. It's a shop experience. So we, we've we've done everything we can to remove any kind of stigma. Okay. That, so it feels like even the kids say to their parents, uh, uh, "When are we going to the shop again?" So we try okay. and we set it up like a shop so people can choose, pick and choose what they want. So that's one thing that we're doing. And then on Fridays. We're, we're supporting deaf schools and for kids that have come under the radar of the, of, uh, the staff that may need that extra food support. So we do a, a program called After School Fuel as well, where we deliver up seven meals to kids for the weekend because that's the point where they don't get the breakfast club, they don't get the lunch. 
Yeah. Uh, so we're supporting kids on the weekend that way. But that's 52 weeks a year. So whether they're on on summer break, that uh, we've continued through the summer. So at least on the weekends, kids are getting fed that way. So that's a that's something we're excited about that we that we love doing as well. Marvelous work. And by, I know you're seeing a lot of our international residents now here in the city. People who are here studying or working, working, for example, full-time. They've come from Brazil, they've come from other parts of the world. They're working, they're in good jobs, but because of the housing situation and the rental situation, they just can't afford to eat. That's right. PJ, and that is, that's that's something that maybe people wouldn't be aware of, is kind of the, 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 um, international students that are coming over, maybe they're UCC, MTU, some of the language schools here. There's five, I think there's at least 5,000 students in language school in, in Cork alone. So they come over and uh, the housing, they're coming into a housing crisis. Some of them, we've talked with them. These are young professionals, by the way, just so so we're clear. A lot of the, the foreign nationals that we see coming in, they're here to learn English. They've come over, they've saved back home they've they're not here to freeload they've been told they can come and work uh they've been told there's adequate housing by different different sources they get over here and to their shock uh their money doesn't go very far Mm -hmm. so some of these guys are they're like they're it's not uncommon to talk to students say brazilian south american students for instance to come to us and say look there's four of us in a bedroom i'm paying a hundred euros a week the job that was, you know, we're, we're working, but that's where the pinch point is. We need food. We need that extra support. So, yeah, we, we have a student day once a month where we, we bring in those students and okay. they can come in uh, and, and access food that way as well. All right. Super work you're doing. Uh, long may be able to continue. Hemp sermons at uh, Feed Cork down there behind Sipto and Connolly Hall. You'll find them on Facebook. Just Google them and they'll come up doing marvellous, marvellous work. Thank you, Hemp. 0818 96 96 96. You know those frauds and scams and rackets that we've been talking about for months and months and years and years. It's an operation has been going on over the last couple of months which just might get to the bottom of some of it. It's called Black Axe. We'll talk about it next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. Here's some of the winners from the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Best of Cork Awards. Best of all is now. Best Hairdresser. Three Degrees. Best Salon. Sarah Louise Beauty. Best Barber. Peaky Barbers. Best Bar. Murphy's Rock. Best Breakfast. Lab 82. Best Coffee. Cork Coffee Roasters. Best Takeaway. Jason Munch. Are you ready, ready? The Best of Cork Awards 23. The Best of Cork Awards 23. You're the best. Only on Cork's 96FM. So 34 people have been arrested over the last couple of months during the Irish leg of a clampdown called Operation Jackal, which is run by Interpol. Huge international crackdown on an African organised crime group calling themselves... Black Axe. Twelve people have been arrested for investigation purposes and 22 for money laundering. 
The Irish Sun is reporting today that they include five bank workers who've been arrested as part of the Gardaí's crackdown on the Black Axe gang. I'm joined by crime editor of the Irish Sun, Stephen Breen. Stephen, is this something that could get to the bottom of many of those scams that have been going on day to day, week to week? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, it's very possible because the Gardaí attached to the uh, Garda National Economic Crime Bureau have been investigating the activities of this criminal organisation since 2020. And in 2020, you know, as the investigation continued, uh, the Gardaí approached Interpol and asked for assistance in terms of uh, ongoing uh, uh, help uh, in terms of trying to apprehend those involved in various forms of crime. And their main forte uh, of this kind would be romance fraud and also um, uh, business email compromise fraud, but also other forms of online fraud. And they would include many of those types of fraudulent activity that we witnessed, especially during the pandemic. Mm. And that includes where messages are sent out to people and people are being asked to click on various yeah. links and yeah. people giving over their bank details. So it's not just one type of fraud this guy and are involved in. It's many uh, types of fraud and the Guardian are investigating all aspects of their criminal activities. Now, you reveal in the paper that in your latest developments that five bank workers here in this country. So this is a deep, mm-hmm. deep investigation. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been going on for quite some time, and especially when you have Interpol uh, involved as well. I mean, since um, the launch of the investigation here in Ireland, Operation Skeen, Gardaí have identified over 1,000 people who are suspected of involvement in this criminal organisation. You know, they've also um, uh, identified how 60 million was laundered through banks here in Ireland since, since 2020. And so there are uh, ongoing investigations. That It's a huge criminal network, so it is. But you know, it's impossible for the guards to do this on their own. So that's why they did seek assistance, you know, from Interpol, but also other countries as well, where this criminal organisation uh, had people based. And they were sending people, the belief is, to Ireland. You know, some people got in jobs in banks. Some people got in jobs in the IT industry uh, where they could access people's data. So it is very well organised. Highly organised and according to one article that I read of late Stephen so organised it's almost like a corporate structure. It is like many criminal organisations PJ they do have a corporate structure where you you have people at the very top of of an organisation who would you know um, put together various uh, schemes in place and and have people working directly to them and reporting to them. I mean one of the individuals arrested recently is believed to be one of the main players within the gang here and his job would be to facilitate you know people coming into the country for example money mules uh, people coming into the country to open bank accounts and then him reporting directly uh, back to the mm. the paymasters and the, the masterminds in uh, Western Africa. So it is very well organised and it is a huge global investigation, not just here in Ireland, but across the world. The term money mule uh, was a new one on me a couple of months ago. Uh, one thing that you hear is of people who get themselves into a bit of trouble and they're told, listen, if you let 20 grand sit in your bank account for a week... We'll take out 15 and the rest is yours. That's money muling on the simplest level and that can land you in jail. I can land you in serious trouble now. The, 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 the main 
person that's in the Gardaí, uh, Detective Superintendent Michael Crown, is in charge of the, the investigation here, and I've interviewed him numerous times, and he does say, you know, not to let any other person have access to use your account, you know, or to even uh, transfer money. You know, they do, this criminal network would approach perhaps students, would approach people coming into the country who are vulnerable, and therefore asking and offering them, you know, a, a quick financial incentive for people to, to use the banks. But, you know, I, I've written about before in the past where money mills have been prosecuted for their involvement in these scams and if they are prosecuted they could end up with a criminal uh, conviction so it, it's it's important that people don't let their accounts be used or or if they do work for this gang and they will get a criminal conviction the african connection here um we've all had um, even a few years ago we still were getting the the email from the nigerian prince offering mm-hmm. you a small fortune to hold on to money for him and, and all that is this where it all began, do they think? Well, this organisation, the Black Axe criminal organisation, dates back to the 1970s, and I suppose the crimes that they were involved in then, yeah, would have been human trafficking, prostitution and violence, but in recent years, you know, with the advancement in technology, and obviously because when it comes to organised crime, when you're online, there are no borders in, in crime in this aspect. So you have this criminal guy whose main area of expertise at the moment is uh, fraudulent activity, mainly online activity. So that's what they are focusing on now. And that's what their main area of expertise is, where they do have so many networks across the globe. And that's why Ireland was chosen as another European country where they could open accounts here to channel money from other European countries into bank accounts in, in Ireland. So then that could then filter its way back to them. Is there a prospect Stephen that, and this is a massive international operation, but is it is there a prospect that in, in the time to come, in the months to come, people could begin to appear before the Irish courts connected to this? Oh, well, people have already appeared before the, the courts here, so, so they have. Yes, there was an Italian individual who came to Ireland, uh, Daniel De Valcario, um, a few years ago, and he got a conviction because he was p- part of the, the Nigerian crime gang as well, uh, Black Axe, and he was uh, convicted for his involvement in a, a, a money laundering scheme. And then you have other people, like um, five have already been charged you know, with gangland offences. One is actually charged with directing the activities of an organised crime gang, so, and many of those have come before the court are already pleading guilty uh, to, because of the evidence that has been weighted against them. So yeah, it, it is ongoing and of the charges to date, you know, there, there will be people appearing before the courts. Yeah, it, it brings us back to, lastly, Stephen, before I let you go, and this is your day-to-day bread and butter work, some people would, you know, criticise the guards about this, that and the other, but when they get their teeth into something, they're pretty damn good, right? Well, it's proven in this case where Interpol have issued a statement where they have thanked uh, the, the Guardi's uh, Economic Crime Bureau for their expertise in, in this field and for their diligence uh, in terms of investigating this criminal guy. And obviously the guards would like more resources, yeah. you know, within uh, many units within the Guardi where they could, you know, even perhaps even put more emphasis on bringing these people to justice. But to date, this has been an operation which has been led by Ireland uh, because of the, the incidents were taking place here. And, and so many suspects have already, have already been identified. So it is a very Irish-led investigation. And I think on, on this occasion, obviously, the guards do come into criticism from time to time. But it's worth noting that you know there is great work being done behind the scenes. You only look at the Garda National uh, Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, the amount of convictions they've had. So, But on this occasion, it's the specialist investigators from the fraud unit who, who are really leading the way and bringing these people to justice. And doing marvellous work. Stephen, thank you very much, uh, Stephen Breen, crime editor of the Irish Sun on the crackdown in this country and in 
international operation on the Black Axe Gang. The scams that my listeners have been caught on. People have lost anything from €1,000 to €10,000. They've lost their savings. A lot of it we track back to this crowd based in West Africa. But five bank staff, bank workers, have now been lifted by the guards um, suspected of being involved in this. 0818969696. I made that point to Stephen that, you know, the guards, they're so damn good at what they do. They get criticised criticized, and they deserve it from time to time. But they're so damn good at what they do when they get their teeth into something like this. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. It is Rose of Tralee month. Uh, the television nights are later this month. They are on Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday, August 21st and 22nd. And like it or hate it, it's one of these things you simply can't ignore. And for all the critics that the Rosa Trilly has, year after year after year, all over the world, young women queue up to be part of the International Rose of Trilly. That's the facts. One of them this year, who will be appearing with Dahi, and is Catherine Thomas doing it? Yes, Dahi and Catherine. In Trilly, later this month, is Megan Wolfe, the German rose with very, very strong Cork connections. Megan, what are they? Good morning. Hi, how are you? Very good. Um, My mum is from Cork, so it's a very strong connection. Cork is where we always come back to every year, or we try at least. I mean, COVID got in the way, for example, and um, yeah, we always have family gatherings there, and it's lovely to come back, to be honest. Yeah. Mom is from Coachford, and then she met your dad, who's German. She met him in Crete. Yeah, it's a really funny story. Um, romance, my mom like. was there. Yeah, it was like a rom com, basically. Uh, <laughs> at least it's what they tell us. And um, yeah, my uh, father was there with the uh, German um, Marine, and my mother was there on holiday with one of her cousins. And they met in a bar, the Scorpio bar, shout out. And for him, it was love at first sight. And she had to be convinced by buying flowers and uh, yeah, writing letters afterwards and so on. And they stayed in touch. And then one day he just turned up on her, like at home at my grandparents in Ireland in Coachford. And it worked out from there. So it's a very romantic story. <laughs> great story. It's a great story. Now, you were born, <laughs> you were born in Heidelberg. Uh, you now yes. live in Tobingen. Now, I know I've heard of Heidelberg like everybody else, but I don't know anything about Tobingen. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people know uh, Heidelberg because it's so nice. And actually, Tobingen is known for the same thing. They're kind of similar, um, but Tobingen is, is much more stretched out and there's much more uh, space because it's like there's more yeah nature around it basically and not as much industry and uh it's known for its university that's why i went there and it's a lovely little town mm. and i actually i have to say i just moved a week ago because i'm done with university but um tubing will always have a place in my heart especially because i'm uh, involved in the housing project there yeah you've you've just have you graduated now in, in political science is that it <laughs> yeah, I handed in my master's thesis actually one day before uh, the selection night. And I'm waiting for my grade, but I, I hope and I guess it'll be fine. 
and um, that's the only thing I'm waiting for. Yeah, the great. Fingers will be crossed. <laughs> fingers will be crossed Thank for you. you. Yeah, like Heidelberg versus Cork. Compare the two. Ooh. Um, like, to be honest, we weren't as much in Cork, but when we were in the city, or do you mean Cork the city or yeah, Cork the yeah, yeah, yeah. county? What are they like cities? The city. Um, Heidelberg has like a little castle and it has small little um, roads and there's like cobblestone everywhere. So it's very Sounds romantic cute. in a sense. Yeah. It's very cute. And um, there are a lot of tourists in summer there. And in Cork, I remember more that there are the real people, not only tourists, but like people who actually live there and people going their way. And we also went to the um, to the market there, which was very cool. I love the Irish markets. Yeah. And uh, it just has a completely different vibe to it, but also very nice. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the rose. Is it widely known in Germany, Megan? Oh, the Germans do not have a clue <laughs> about the roads, to be honest. Like every time I told someone um, what I'm doing and what I'm doing this summer, they were at first, like maybe this is a very German way to react to something. At first they were were very skeptical and gave me like a skeptical look. And then I told them more about it. And that is not only like a pageant, but like about the tour and meeting other people and um, learning about what, being Irish can mean to you or what it means to others. And then everyone basically came around and dropped all their skepticism and were very happy for me. So um, most Germans don't know what the rose is, but that's fine. I'm here to, yeah, well, to you, bring it at least to my friends and people can, who know the, me. Yeah, the, the tour starts very, it starts tomorrow, doesn't it, or today? Today, actually, wow. at 11 or 12. <laughs> So you'll be, you'll be around the country with all of the other roses. You looking forward to it? Excited about it? Definitely. Like I've met a few girls um, just yesterday and everyone is lovely. And I bet the other others will be too. And yeah, I'm very excited. This is like a once in a lifetime thing. Our family coming over? Yeah. Um, definitely. Um, my uh, parents, of course, one of my brothers and my partner coming over and also my German granny. I hope she'll be able to come, but I don't want to put too much pressure on her to come over. All right. Megan, we wish you well over the next couple of weeks. Thanks. And most importantly, in Chile, when it comes around, thank you so much for talking to me. Megan Wolf. she is the 2023 German Rose, but she's one of our own. Her mammy was, I think it's a big, great story. Her mammy is from Coachford, Moraid, from Coachford. And her dad is German. And he was serving with the military, or the Marines, in Crete. And they met while mammy was on holidays in Crete. I mean, you know when you come back from holidays, you're collecting your posts and your messages and your emails and your stuff you've missed while you were away, a couple of books arrived in the post and all of that. But one of the messages I got when I came back into the office on Wednesday morning was, PJ George Hook would like to talk to you about women in sport. He goes, OK. And this is on the back of the brilliant win for the Cork Camogie team at the weekend. The ongoing Women's World Cup, where we didn't do so hot, but we got there, we scored there, and we did OK. 
and there'll be a, there'll be a next one and the fact that that Women's World Cup is ongoing drawing huge crowds and huge television audiences and I can tell you when I was away when the English or the Irish were playing the pubs were packed over in, in Lanza to watch it on the telly but George Hook wants to talk to me about women in sport oh, Jesus George I hope George you're not going to be one of these old cranks who's coming on to tell me women shouldn't be playing soccer or rugby morning <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, just for people listening, my background, okay? Yeah. I coached rugby in America at school, university, and representative. In Ireland, I coached women's rugby also at club. And importantly, I was the first ever coach to the Irish women's national rugby team. So I have a lot of experience with women's rugby. Uh, I now have an 11-year-old granddaughter who is the national gymnastics. I'm a huge fan. Of, of women's sport and massively supportive. Mm. However, and this is the answer to your question, there are questions to be asked about women playing rugby and soccer, which I think are not being asked often enough. Okay. And this is the question of traumatic brain injury, right? Yeah. If, because the first thing, and I don't want to be a scaredy cat here, but it is important that women scientifically are 30% more likely to suffer concussion than men. So therefore, point one, we should have a concern. Two, it is scientifically proven that heading a soccer ball is not a good idea. And in fact, in America, children under 12 are not allowed to head the ball. So there's a question for women here uh, about that. And then in rugby, we already know um, we have a huge traumatic brain injury problem in rugby and women are playing rugby. So the first question that you would ask is, I want them to play. I want them to play soccer. I want them to play rugby. I want them to do it safely. So I suppose I don't give you a categoric answer like yes. I see your point. Biologically, the head is more sensitive. And we we know not why it it just is. But, you know, we also want to see wonderful goals like Katie McCabe scored. There's another thing, George. I noticed it. I was only walking past posters for a World Cup event in the last couple of days. So much of it focused, I thought myself, on the looks of the women. What do you think? I have a problem with that. Like the London Times, that distinguished newspaper, informed me last week that there are 800 women playing in in the Soccer World Cup and 15% of them are lesbian. Who gives a hoot? Like, is the London Times going to look at the rugby in in September and tell us how many men are gay? There is a danger here that because it's women, there is a danger that there is an overtly, by the media, concentration on, on, on looks and sexuality. And that is bad for women's sport. Now, women are not entirely blameless, one has to say. If um, one player 
doesn't shake hands with another player uh, after the match. And then we read in the paper, it's because there's a the split over the girlfriend with, who's, with whose girlfriend or whatever. It doesn't help their cause. So I think what we have to do, PJ, and remember now you're talking to an absolute total supporter of women's sport. Yes. Like to the point of, you know, watching this 11-year-old granddaughter of mine do, do handstands at a national level. The, the, the thing we have to do is dial down on it. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what their private life is like. You see, they have another problem which men don't have. And it's it's so unfair for them. You now have this situation that there'll be a cycling tournament next week or a rowing tournament next week and six foot four inches, 15 stone, uh, Georgina Jones arrives, who was George Jones only two weeks ago. Mm. So women are facing much more difficulties in their sport than we men are. That's a delicate issue, George, and one I'm happy to talk about, but carefully. It's in swimming. It's a huge thing with the Leah Thomas. That's now been stopped. The cycling, you're correct. Trans women playing in women's sports. Your thoughts? Well, I'm with, I, I think I'm a good company, actually. I'm with Martina Navratilova who firmly believes that trans should not play in women's sport. The key thing to this is they, they, they are bigger, stronger, because they commence life as males. But then you have the unfairness of it all. There's a, there's a, a lovely South African woman called Casta Samaya. She ran in Cork. 800 metre run. Yes. God gave her extra testosterone. Now, this girl has been hauled through the courts, let alone anything else, because the same to her, you know, you have to now take some kind of anti-testosterone tablet, right? Then, then I am very upset about that. I think that's very wrong. But the problem for women's sport, and, and I, I have to congratulate you because you're, you're walking a tightrope in your program, but nevertheless, it's a tightrope that must be walked. Women are facing difficulties. Our grandchildren are facing difficulties that our wives and sisters never faced. And we must talk about it, but we must talk about it sensibly and we must talk about it carefully. It's, it's a difficult one to trot, but one that I was interested to go there to get your views. There was something else your time in America taught you that sport over there, I think, is very, very political. Uh, you will have noticed that the USA team in uh, the World Cup, the Soccer World Cup, didn't sing the anthem. Why do you think that happened? Well, I don't know, and I don't profess to know, okay? But but one thing you can be absolutely certain about, there will be a sexual connotation, because women's sport in America is riddled with sexual division and it is used as a political object. You will get a different team in America in almost any sport, including golf. You will get a different team in America if the manager or coach is of one sexuality as opposed to another sexuality. You'll get a different team. And it's been proven. Really? So that's someone. The second thing is we do not realize 
Like, we think we're divided here. When we look at Jeffrey Donaldson, we think we're divided. We're only in the halfpenny place compared to America. Yes. Like, at this moment in time, you know, it's slightly jocose, but serious. Donald Trump could take the oath as president of the United States from his prison cell. Now, like we we over here, if it, Trump stood for election in Ireland, he wouldn't get a vote. America is a very different place. We, when we think about America, we think about New York or San Francisco or Los Angeles. We don't think about Lawrence, Kansas or Madison, Wisconsin. The the, the, the middle of America is a completely different yeah, place. Yeah. And more fifty percent of the American people today will vote for Donald Trump. So therefore the division in America is then multiplied when it comes uh, to women's sport. Because again, sad to relate, we add sexual politics into the mix. So I don't know why but, but let me tell you an interesting thing. When we think about Americans, let me try and give you a defense for that. I coached the men's American national team for the first ever World Cup in 1987. And I say to the lads, and they're going to play the American national anthem, lads, so I think we should sing it. <laughs> they didn't know the words. <laughs> the only fellow in the dressing room who knew the words was the agent from Ireland. <laughs> who was trying to get them to sing his... <laughs> <laughs> so, you could actually, with my experience, say, or maybe they didn't know the bloody words. <laughs> Come back finally, George, to what we know you from originally, your punditry of the men's game. I'm going to throw this one at you now. In a month's time, the Men's Rugby World Cup begins in a month's time. We go into it as number one in the world, having achieved wonderful things. Uh, grown men cried when we won that series in New Zealand, and I know because I was, I was one of them. What are our prospects in a month's time, George, realistically, in your expert view? Well, the first thing you must remember is that in the history of the World Cup, we have never got past the quarterfinal. To be running around the place and sort of saying we're going to win it, I think is a bit of a stretch. My expectation would be, I would be absolutely thrilled if we made the semi-final. I don't think we will. I think it will be another World Cup where we go out at the quarterfinal for two reasons. One, the draw for this World Cup was made so long ago that the rankings for the teams were entirely different. So Ireland have got a very difficult draw. Mm. So that's point number one. Point number two, we we are hugely dependent on Johnny Sexton, who is 38 years of age, and I fear for him physically. God, I hate saying this, but you only have to go back four years when he was injured and couldn't play in the quarterfinal and we were hockeyed by Argentina. Yeah. We are so dependent on him being in good shape and at 38, it is an enormous ask. Quarterfinal is my guess. Quarterfinal, yeah. Although the one thing I would say, George, is one thing I've noticed of late, there is no longer any fear in the faces, no matter who we're starting against. Is that a factor? 
Oh, that is unquestionably a factor. The Irish professional system, and we owe it all to a famous court man, the great Tommy Kiernan, God mm. rest him. Mm. Kiernan masterminded Irish professionalism, which made the country with the smallest playing population of the major nations to be number one in the world. God save Tommy Kiernan. Absolutely. George, I wish you well. And I, I know we, there'll be great excitement in the Hook household when you're watching the rugby and maybe the gymnastics too, but the sound of things over the coming years. The coming years. <laughs> All right. God bless and thank you. Thank you, George. Thank you, George. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Mentioned earlier, very top of the program, about the cost of sending kids back to school. Said it in the context of talking to hemp sermons down at Feed Cork about their their stationary packs and, and the work that they continue to do. Uh, Deborah got on to say, Morning PJ, this year it'll be a bit easier because people with primary school going kids will get all the books and stationery free of charge. Well, that's good to hear, Deborah. Uh, it's good to hear. As you can appreciate, my kids are long since done with primary school. So it kind of got a small bit over my head while I was away that that happened. Um, but good, good to see. We'll see how it works out. See how it works out over the weeks to come. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Now, quickly to this, a man will be honoured today by the Lord Mayor, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, for his work with a project called Project Children, which during the time of the Troubles brought 24,000 Catholic and Protestant children over to the United States for the break. Uh, the man I speak of is now 78 years of age, 78 years of age, a native of Rock Chapel, and a former army bomb disposal expert who went on to be an NYPD cop. And besides Project Children, Dennis Mulcahy, you have your own unique story to tell. Good morning. Congratulations on the award which you'll receive today from uh, the Lord Mayor. Thank you so much. It is indeed a great honour. And uh, to have an audience with uh, the Lord Mayor, Kieran McCarthy, after all these years. Left Cork almost 60 years ago. So yeah. it's an exciting day. You haven't lost the accent, I can tell you that. <laughs> yes. yes. So young Rock, Rock, Rock Chapel man heads to the States. Headed to join the army, I think. And was it a mess up in the paperwork that you ended up being a bomb disposal expert? Exactly. Um, they just screwed up the numbers, and in, instead of uh, writing one four zero, they wrote four one zero. They ended up in uh, the bomb disposal in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. <clears throat> and actually, I was in Fort Knox, Kentucky, training when John F. Kennedy got shot. I will always remember it because all the transfers were cancelled. 
and almost 50 years to the day, I got the John F. Kennedy Medal from the AOH, H.L. Order of Hibernians, and it was given in Louisville, Kentucky, next door to Fort Knox. So uh, it's amazing 50 years later that that would happen. And You, uh, you were just a uh, boy. You were 17 when you left Rock Chapel. You were been 18 when you were serving there in Fort Knox, and Kennedy was... was what was it like yeah. being a young teenager from Rock Chapel in the American Army? Well... It was a big, big, you know, big uh, culture change. But uh, you know, we uh, we adjusted, and uh, uh, it was challenging, but we got through it. And uh, looking back, uh, we were really very, very young compared to, uh, and um, it was was good. It it, it all worked out. Mm. So you came to the end of your time in the army, and you joined the NYPD. Your brother was in the NYPD as well. Yes, my brother Pat, who's living here down in uh, Rock Chapel, uh, was in the NYPD, and I followed his footsteps. And uh, because of my army training and stuff, I ended up on the bomb squad, and I did uh, 34 years. And actually, my son, Sean, who is going to be with us tonight, is currently a member of the NYPD bomb squad. He's been there for... 12, 14 years. So the tradition continues. Um, so it's, it's, it's exciting. And it's great to be in court tonight. And we have so many family and friends are going to be joining us. And uh, we're grateful again for so many people. The, my good friend, Patty McCarthy, court man, has the Irish examiner over in New York. And uh, he got us connected with uh, Benny Cobb, who has the PAV. And as yeah. a result, we are showing the documentary tonight. And uh, their staff and um, general manager, Julie Wilkinson, everybody's been so, so helpful. And I also have to thank uh, Kieran Callagher Byrne, who is with the, uh, the Cork City Council. He's done an amazing job with uh, both of my people, uh, Catherine Flood, which is by way of Monaghan, and Linda Croston, a West uh, Cork woman, and uh, they're both out in New York. So that team has done an amazing job organizing this event tonight. We have a full house and Brilliant. really looking forward. Let's talk a little bit about Project Children because it started... You were serving as a cop in the States and you were watching what was going on here at home, you and a few friends. And that's what it was born out of. Yes, uh, my brother Pat, who was a cop in New York at that time, and, uh, you know, the first two years he was the driving force behind the the project, but he uh, returned back to Ireland and I inherited everything and uh, had to go from there. But we, we started with six kids uh, back in 1975, three Catholic, three Protestant. Uh, next year we did 21 and the numbers kept increasing. Our goal was to fill a plane. And of course, back in them days, Aer Lingus had the 747s, which would be 468 kids. We eventually did two 747s. Wow. Yeah, it was an amazing... You know, we couldn't do it today, looking back, because... uh, Dennis, bring me me back to the birth birth of it, though. It grew into something huge, but but it must have come up at one point, say, over a coffee. 
in the when, when did it, who came up with it and how did you well, set about doing it again uh, the the, um, the there was so much publicity in the states of the troubles in Ireland when you put on the six o'clock news or ten o'clock news the headlines were kids on the streets you know uh, throwing Molotov cocktails you know rioting you know getting hurt and whatever so uh, the idea was to get the kids out of there give them a break for the summer you know mm. the marching that's when, uh, and uh, when when you think about it, uh, you know you had how bad it was. Was really when you saw people put nine, ten-year-old kids on a plane, travel three thousand miles, live with somebody for the summer, and had no idea, had never met them and stuff. So that would tell you how bad the troubles were. You know, speaking to families now, they said. We knew the kids would be safe for the summer. That's the reason we did it. You know, they so knew they'd was, be safe for the summer in the United States, yeah. but they couldn't yeah. say that was the case yeah. in Belfast or Derry. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And um, and setting it up, who did you have to talk to? Who who had to be persuaded to make it happen? Well, we worked mostly through the schools in Northern Ireland, members of the clergy and social services. So they were the people that knew the kids that really needed to get out of there. And uh, of course, though, many, many teachers have, have said that, you know, certain schools, everybody needed to come out of there. But unfortunately, we could only bring so many. And uh, they did an amazing job selecting the kids. And uh, now that it's really all paying off and uh, we have a play going in Belfast at the present. And these kids, people are coming out of the woodwork, coming back and saying how great the summers were, how they stayed in touch with their families in the States and it helped them through the troubled times and now the families are visiting them. Wow. And, uh, you know, it, it it worked two ways. The kids were great ambassadors. Uh, of course, the Amer- and it really wasn't all Irish people. We had people with all backgrounds, all nationalities, took the kids in and, of course, they lived in neighborhoods that were very diverse, that you had people from all religion and colors and whatever lived there. So I think it, uh, it that was uh, something special and the kids brought that back with them and uh, it made an unbelievable change. Yeah, yeah. The, the documentary of which you speak, uh, the Project Children's Story, How to Defuse a Bomb is the name of the documentary, uh, narrated by the wonderful Liam Neeson. But one of the stories involved is of a man called John Cheevers. I think he was only 11 when he first went over. Tell me his story, Dennis. Yes, John was a, a Protestant young man that came over and he shared the home with Kevin Brady. And, of course, they came from totally different uh, neighborhoods in in Belfast. And uh, the relationship wasn't great at the beginning. And um, Yeah, John was, uh, a, was it John was a Protestant and Kevin was a Catholic. Yeah. And they were both yeah. housed together under the same roof. Did that, yes. like, looking back, did yeah. that happen by accident, Dennis? Or was that deliberate, do you think? Well... People that would take two children, we would always put, you know, one one from each. Uh, uh, we would put one Catholic and one Protestant. So uh, that worked out really good. Um, 
So it so happened they went uh, to uh, Duke and Carol Hoffman, who are neighbors of mine and still living in Greenwood Lake, wonderful people. Um, so they brought uh, they brought uh, Kevin Brady back, and uh, they actually sent him on to school, and eventually John returned. Now they were best men on board of uh, the weddings. They were both married, and uh, they, they became best of friends and still in touch with each other today. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Coming yes, from such a, such a sectarian divide as there was, and I remember as a young man listening to the news in the 70s and, 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 and the early 80s, the, 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 and it was hatred between Protestant and Catholic, and yet, yeah. here you were, and am I right? In, I'm suspecting you put young 10, 11, 12-year-old, one Protestant, one Catholic, I imagine initially they'd have been quite shocked to discover they were mixing together in the one house. How many lifelong friendships, Dennis, were formed? Well, it's an amazing amount. But, you know, when you think of it, you know, like that, they, they had the same accents, you know, the same color, the same, basically everything, that they would run into each other in a neighborhood, you know, a Catholic a kid and a Protestant. And as soon as they started chatting, they met a buddy. They never once thought, well, this guy might be a Protestant, this guy might be a Catholic. As soon as they had that accent, they were buddies right away and, yes. uh, you know, really stood up for each other and backed each other up. And uh, that's why you really had to take them out of Northern Ireland to make this change. Yeah. Well, John Cheevers makes the point that he and Kevin would probably never have met had they stayed at home. And if they if they had met, it could be on the two sides of a horrible divide. Exactly, exactly. And there were both in close, close enough neighborhoods where there was like, it was like the DMZ where they would come every night and they'd be throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails back and forth. And they were close enough. However, uh, I think one of them mentioned they might as well be 3,000 miles apart because uh, they would never have got together anyhow. You know, so uh, it was, it attracted wonderful people. And, you know, I can't say enough about the generosity of the American people who opened their homes and the horse and took these kids in. Yeah. But however, the, the, the kids were amazing ambassadors and you have to give so much credit and really to the mothers in Northern Ireland because many of the dads were in long cash and were involved in the troubles. And it was the mother that was... Um, you know, raising these kids, and uh, she raised uh, them with a, an iron fist. I mean, I remember going into them homes and the discipline, and uh, it, 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 it was amazing times. You know, yeah. a lot of things have changed. Yeah, it must have been so difficult, Dennis, to raise children on the streets of Belfast, on the streets of Derry, divided streets. Children don't understand division. They see it, but they don't understand it. How does a mother, how does a father, if he's not, like you said, in jail, protect them from that division? 
it was difficult because they lived right in the neighborhood. You know, it was right outside your door. So, you know, you had to kind of be involved. And uh, that's why they had to come out of there, even if it was a short time. Uh, you know, they still remembered, uh, you know, their days and that there was a, another way of life. And, uh, you know, it was a seed that was kind of planted. And uh, it took a long time uh, because, again, these kids came out of terrible, terrible neighborhoods. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of times people would say, well, you know, it's a bit of a waste of time because a lot of these kids are never going to go on to universities or become, you know, islands leaders and what. And that was so untrue. Some of these kids have done amazing. And, um, you know, we are very proud of what we've done and uh, yeah. the people involved. I mean, it took until the 90s before there was a, a holding yes. ceasefire. Who's to know, Dennis, that some of the young boys and young girls that came to America and met in those houses and formed lifelong, who's to know that when it came to the crunch in the 90s and there was a ceasefire within grasp, who's to know some of those kids didn't play a part in convincing those around them to put down the guns? Yeah, most definitely. And I think that was proven when President Clinton invited me to travel to Ireland with him. Uh, there was a lot of people saw the difference it had made and that it was making. And uh, they want, kind of wanted it to continue. You know, so we did it for 40 years and uh, we still work now with... Um, you know, young university kids, we bring them over and we get them uh, internships for the summer. And uh, uh, the, the need isn't there that was back in that day for the younger kids. So we are still working with some older kids. And it is different times and it's a little more difficult, to, you know, to raise funding. We ha we never got any, um, you know, government funding. Yeah, how, it how was it paid for, Dennis? All the flights and it stuff. It was from all volunteers. It was, uh, you know, people like uh, like uh, Linda Croston, who's over right now on Catherine Flood. They none of them get uh, reimbursed in any way for their services. They they work nonstop. They mm. both of them have been promoting the documentary for the past several years, and the documentary is quite good. You know, it's something that's never going to get outdated because it shows. You know, it's like history. It's it's time. It was the 40 years of the trouble. So you can look at it at any time. And sometimes I'm amazed that some of the uh, older uh, university kids that we bring over for the summer, we show them the documentary and uh, they'd be very taken back because they said, we had no idea our uh, parents and grandparents lived during these times because I think the people are kind of reluctant to talk about it with their kids, that uh, it's something they want to put behind them and uh, move on, you know. Uh, we have done a lot of work with Habitat in the States with the university kids and our amazing workers. But we're down in the backwoods of Alabama or somewhere and we would show the documentary and uh, these kids now uh, would come out and they'd be really in tears. They had no idea that the troubles were really that bad. So I think the documentary is, is something and Catherine Flood has said it many times that every 
kid should look at it. Actually, Catherine brought this back to Monaghan like three years ago, and we brought 700 kids over the border from Northern Ireland and uh, to watch the documentary. And uh, these were young kids, and I was actually amazed how, you know, they sat, they watched it, and they discussed it after. And, uh, mm. you know, it's, it's great to be showing it at the Pav and Court. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a special showing for, for people who will be yeah. attending the, the evening. Where might we get to see a copy of it, Dennis, if we wanted to? Because I most certainly do want to. Yes. Well, you could get in touch with, uh, with, with uh, you know, anybody in the organization. You know, Linda Croston will be up there in Cork. She's, uh, she'll be there for the next few days. She's actually from down in Skibbereen working in New York. She has a company herself over there, and she does amazing work for us. And uh, we'll get you a copy, and it's... Um, it's worth it's, it's worth seeing. It's, I'd very it's much, very, I'd very, very, very much like to see it. I visited Dennis just as a side. I visited Northern Ireland twice on my holidays when we couldn't travel because of COVID. Right. We drove to the north, and I found right. there were two of the most educational holidays I ever spent anywhere about the history of our country, which is why I was so enthused about talking to you today. They tell me, and they're right, you know, but you've 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 deflected every effort I've made to get some credit for yourself. You talk all the time about others, but how do you feel about having done this when, when you look back on the legacy of Project Children? No, it's, it's amazing, but again, you know, it's not one person. I mean, there was thousands of people involved and, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic and a lot of them people are going to be down from Belfast tonight and uh, we have uh, uh, Monica Colbert, who was one of the first people to get on board with us. She was a teacher in Belfast and I have David Canning out of Straban. He was a Protestant teacher down in that area and he organized both the Catholic Protestant schools and David is still with the education department in Northern Ireland today, and he's going to be down on court tonight. So we have a ton of great people that made this program and, again, uh, did it just out of the goodness of their heart. Um, it's, uh, as, as, it, as did you, and I'm, 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 I keep, will keep coming back, Dennis. I want to congratulate you, one Corkman to another, and indeed to another again, your brother. Yes. Because... Whatever happened with Project Children, however many thousands were helped, however many hundreds volunteered and got involved, it was over, I assume, a coffee in the NYPD canteen. Yourself and your brother and your friend. This was born from that. And that must be shouted from the rooftop. Dennis Mulcahy, I congratulate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and hope to meet up with you sometime. It it would be wonderful. It would be wonderful. New York. It would be wonderful. Dennis Mulcahy, thank you so much. From Rock Chapel, was involved in the setting of a project children. I didn't know a whole pile about it until I went reading about him. What they did was magnificent. And he will be uh, correctly and rightly um, honoured today by the Lord Mayor, Councillor Kieran McCarthy. And then they will show how to defuse a bomb. That was the Project Children documentary be shown at the PAV at six. Honoured to have him on the show. Thank you, Dennis. The minds are live. 
Join the conversation. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Corks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Cork Simon. Do you want to leave a legacy to the city you love? Find out more about leaving a gift in your will at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96FM. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A couple of bits and pieces to clear and to get through at this juncture of the morning. And if I don't do them, I will forget them. First of all, the great Paddy O'Brien has been in touch to ask me to mention the 72nd annual Mass and Devotions at the Holy Rosary Shrine on Lee Road, marking the Feast of the Assumption. That's Tuesday, 15th. Next Tuesday, half seven, the chief celebrant will be Bishop John Buckley. That's uh, 7 30. Tuesday at the Lee Road, 72nd Annual Mass and Devotions. Thanks, Paddy, for letting me know about that. Uh, to something else, a brand new event celebrating a great guy who was a pal of mine for many years. And I interviewed him for the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon in 2022. And less than three months after we did the interview, Kevin Foley passed away. 
at the time his diagnosis was terminal. We, we had planned on the day I did the interview that we'd go for a pint together after I got back from my holidays. Sadly, when I did, he was too unwell and we never got to have that pint. Um, and I'm very sad to say that we never got to have that pint. But Kevin's first anniversary is being marked with a golf classic. He was a keen golfer. We never played golf together because I was too crap, but <laughs> he was a keen golfer, loved around the golf, loved the crack, loved the point, loved music, loved music. And the inaugural Kevin Foley Memorial Golf Classic, in aid of Cork Arc Cancer Support House, uh, from whom, for, he was a, a client of theirs during his uh, cancer journey. That's on tomorrow at Mahan Golf Course. T from 1140, um, 90 euros per team. I don't know if they're full yet, but I'm sure you can look it up. But tomorrow night at the beer garden, there's the presentation of prizes and all of that. So the way of having the pint I never got to have with my dear old pal, Kevin, I am going along tomorrow night at the invitation of his daughter. I'm going along tomorrow night to present prizes at that golf classic at the beer garden. So I am so looking forward to that. That's on tomorrow night and best of luck to everybody involved in this. Couple of things to clear. Uh, oh God, the price of coffee. Johnny's in London. Hey John, just bought a regular oak chai latte in Costa. Four pounds 30. Dear Lord, that's a fiver. £4.30, including 50 pence for the oat milk. Like, what's this crack about? Thanks, Johnny. Uh, Donald was on. The Rob Roy. Uh, 6.80 for a Bulmer's Light. It's not on draft. Take the cork off the bottle. So, as you've been saying, PJ, for the last while, the €7 Euro point isn't far off. I know, I know, I dread it. And on the school costs, I mentioned earlier, and I, I look, this had gone over my head a little bit because mine are well done with primary school. Uh, free books now for primary school kids. Norma Foley has announced that. I think she said as well, she wants to extend it to secondary school kids in the fullness of time, but certainly for the primaries. Deborah was thinking that the stationery is also provided free of charge. Frank isn't so sure, but there will be a help for the primary kids with the books and that's good to hear a lot of love in the room for Dennis Mulcahy and we will put that into up as a podcast early this afternoon remarkable man he's now 78 years of age from Rock Chapel in uh, County Cork emigrated to the States as a 17 year old joined the army by a mistake of paperwork he ended up training as a bomb disposal officer he then went into the NYPD, joined their bomb squad. His brother, Pat, also a detective in the NYPD, the two cops, conversation over coffee, the canteen one day, and their friend watching the news coming from Ireland on television about the North and what was happening there. And they set up a thing called Project Children. I hadn't heard a whole pile about it until this very day. Sean says, inspirational gentleman. Absolutely, Sean. You can sing it. You can scream it from the rooftops. The wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's been a privilege to speak this morning with Dennis Mulcahy. 0818-969696. Tricia was on. Or there's a message from Tricia. She said, I was assaulted last night in my own city on Drawbridge Street. 
I asked someone to stop attacking a girl. So he turned and took me down instead. That's better than him attacking her because I'm okay now. This violence has to stop. I want to identify the car. If you know the car, please help. She has pictures. To the victim, I'm okay and thank you. I'd really like to know if the victim is okay. Can anyone let me know via the radio station? Trisha, you're a brave person. You're a very brave person. Trisha intervened last night in Drawbridge Street. She saw someone being attacked. She intervened and the person carrying out the attack turned on her. And all she cares about this morning is, is the victim okay? She said she's all right. And she wants to identify a car. Thank you. Thank you, Tricia. Thank you very much. 0818969696. Ours to protect is coming up. It's that time of the week again. And uh, Katie O'Keefe has been talking to hoteliers in Cork who offer garden-to-plate meals from farm to fork and uh, how they're going about reducing their carbon footprint. It's coming up next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. to protect. Brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI and funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we'll look at Cork hotels offering farm-to-fork meals and their passion to significantly reduce their carbon footprint. In recent years, the farm-to-table concept has generated a lot of buzz in the restaurant industry. What it means is that the food on the diner's table was made from ingredients directly sourced from a particular local farm, garden or supplier, bypassing middlemen, which include distributors and grocery stores. That's not all, though. Farm-to-table restaurants are also conscious of how plants are grown and how the livestock are raised, slaughtered and processed. Alexander Petty is group executive chef of Trigon Hotels, the Cork-based group which operates the Metropole and Cork International Hotels. He believes sustainability is a huge aspect for a successful business. When we talk about sustainability in both hotels, when we build menus, we look obviously at the seasons, which is important. So each vegetable or fruit might be a different season at the moment. We have amazing strawberries. Um, that we source from West Cork, David Bushby. And so we look at that. So we look at the seasons, we look at the local producers. I think that's very important for the food mileage. Try to reduce, obviously, um, you know, energy being used to kind of bring the vegetables. Um, and then the local suppliers in general is very, very important because it's the local economy. They're the small guys. They're they are the ones that need, you know, a bit of support. And we want a really good relation with them. Overall, Irish hospitality is trying to commit to minimising the impact their restaurants and businesses have on the environment. Everything is small action, but small action that you multiply by so many staff becomes very, very big action. And what the, the big emphasis that we need to understand is it's a journey and we're indicating our, our teams. Um, it's really the first step. Our teams to be part of this journey and under, understanding the environmental aspect that everything we can take. Um, so we've seen reduction of 8% year on year on uh, carbon footprint with all the hotels combined which is very good and then we continue we always look for new ways to kind of um, uh, get better and, and reducing our carbon footprint trigon hotels will celebrate its ongoing partnership with cope foundation this month 
The Garden Table is an event where guests can sample a wide array of culinary offerings under the creative guidance of Chef Petit. Each dish will incorporate freshly harvested fruit and vegetables from the Cope Foundation Sensory Garden, a collaborative project established by the charity in 2021. It's a really strong celebration to five-course meal and all local resource within the fish, the meat from West Cork. Uh, the vegetables from the garden if we can, some edible flowers, some lovely um, dressings. Um, very convivial sharing platters. It'd be, it'd be a really magical night, absolutely. There is a long tradition in grand country houses of producing food from gardens as well as surrounding farmlands. So it's no surprise that the farm to fork movement has found fertile ground across Ireland, bringing new life to old estates. Renowned for the farm-to-fork cooking practices, Ballymaloo House Hotel use produce grown in the gardens and reared on the farm or source them locally, significantly reducing the carbon footprint. Laura Behan is the general manager. When Myrtle Allen started it, it was food that Ivan grew on the farm and brought in and she she cooked and produced. Um, and then obviously with the local economy, it's local farmers um, and local fishermen who produce who gave the, the meat and, and the fish. And that's something that we, we still do today. So um, we have um, an acre organic walled garden, which produces a lot of our vegetables. The cookery school, just four kilometres down the road, would also give us a huge amount of vegetables because and fruit as they have an acre under glass, which is amazing. So they get produce. At, 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 uh, in Ireland, it's not always the easiest place to grow and, and more opportune times. And um, we still get our seafood from Ballycotton, which is obviously just a stone's throw. Um, and all of our meat is from the local area as well. So, you know, it obviously supports the local economy as well as just being a really sustainable option. Farm to fork menus are written with seasonality in mind using seasonal fruit and vegetables. Our menu changes every day. Um, and that's based on what can be picked from the garden that day um, or what meat comes through the door. And like, we won't know what fish is on the menu till maybe four o'clock in the afternoon when the fish comes in. It is literally the freshest that you can possibly eat. And like the, the, the vegetables every day come up from the garden. So they're picked, dropped up at our back door. Then we have a veg prep area. So they're literally prepped. They come out of the ground, prepped and, and go onto your plate that evening. So that's that's very different. You couldn't get much more locally sourced. So I think that is something that people don't realise or don't appreciate in terms of what, what that means for the vegetables that you're eating and the, the taste and the quality. To learn more about Farm to Fork and Irish hospitality, visit Trigon Hotels or Ballymaloo House online or check the show notes of this episode. Hours to Protect, brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hours to protect.ie for more info. Thank you, Katie. Another Hours to Protect at the same time next week. 0818 96 96 96. Not unrelated in environmental matters would be hedgerows. Because did you know, you should know. You cannot cut a hedge or a ditch or a hedgerow between the 1st of March and the 1st of September for reasons of the nature and the wildlife and the diversity growing within our hedgerows, which is all very fine until they get dangerous. I've been on the 220 bus often enough to know that if you sit upstairs when the bus goes from the top of Maryborough Hill down into Carrigley, there are times when you get a slap of a branch across the front of the bus uh, and that in itself is a fright if you're sitting in the front seat but at some stage or other it could be dangerous too and it's a big problem that came up recently uh, 
at county council level, uh, Councillor John O'Sullivan of the Bandon Kinsale District. John, good morning. Hey, John, are you there? I'm there, can you hear me? Gotcha now, gotcha. It it is a problem. You're not allowed to cut back a hedgerow between March and September for reasons of diversity and all of that. But some of them get, particularly with the growing sport we've had because of the crazy weather, some of them are dangerous now. Yes, and in particular, I suppose, you mentioned the bus, but just imagine those who are walking and running and cycling on roads and cars and, and heavy goods vehicles travelling, in my in my view, it, it's a recipe for, for disaster. And I, I'm just very fearful somebody will be killed. And you're not allowed, as a farmer, to even cut back a big, dirty, overhanging branch? Are you not allowed? No. That's, that's, that, there is mechanism there on safety grounds that you can, that you can cut... Um, in the interest of safety, that you that you can cut ditches, but that's all relative, and the interpretation of it can differ greatly from what you think and I think, and somebody else thinks is is, is dangerous or not. There are those who can maybe report you if you're if you're cutting a ditch, and saying that that's uncalled for. You're affecting the bird life, the wildlife, the biodiversity, and that you should be prosecuted. And one of, as, a, as a farmer myself, one of the things that I, high, I highlighted is that their government agencies can come out and say that they want to take away some of your single farm payment for not obeying the rules. Even though you were doing, doing your best, you were doing it in the interest of safety, but you were not getting recognition for it, and it can cost you money. I'm thinking in terms, I mentioned the bus, as you say, I'm, 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 a, I'm a townie, so Douglas to Carrig Line is a trip into the country for me. But, yes. like, out in West Cork, Cross of four yeah. roads, yeah. narrow roads, and there's a big dirty briar out running out into the middle. You can't see yeah. around the corner. You That's can't right. check your your direction. Yeah. You're not well, allowed to cut away that branch, are you? No. That's that's correct. You can't touch branches, but worse than that, you can't even cut the, the nettles and the briars that are on the side of the road. You can't touch them. And I, I have an issue with that. That was brought in originally. That the, it was the nesting season between March and September. Mm. And, and I said, recently, I have yet to see a bird nesting on the outside of any ditch by any road with traffic and, and heavy goods vehicles passing. Mm. It doesn't make sense. Well, 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 I think those who support that would tell you that they nest obviously within the hedge and within the hedge row. But if we go cutting. The, the nettles and briars around it we're taking from what they use to source for their nest and we're frightening them off and we might damage or hurt chicks and eggs. Well, the reality is any bird that's nesting generally nests in March, April. The nest is built. Yes. The, in my view, what, what is the danger at present is the, is the overgrowth, the nettles, the briars, the ragwort, and that, that on, actually on the verge of the road. If the verge could be trimmed, Yes. That's the flat piece in as far as the ditch. Yes. If that could be trimmed, that would make things substantially safer. And that's completely covered by this ban as well. Now, yes. health and safety, it's allowed for health and safety reasons. I was chatting to, to Richard uh, this morning. Um, yes. And, and he was saying to me, it is allowed for health and safety reasons, but there's no template as to what right. constitutes yes. dangerous. So if you take a picture of a blocked junction or a blocked turn or a dangerous... Verge, yes. and you show that there's no standard by which things say, "Yeah, that's dangerous." Go and cut it. 
That's correct. And and we also have the, the issue that we have Irish Parks and Wildlife, we have Cork County Council, we have the Road Safety Authority, we have um, the Unpashka, we have all of those different bodies, Department of Agriculture, all have their own uh, guidelines. But that's where the, I suppose the biggest fear with landowners comes in. If you comply with one, you can be disobeying the other and the other can, can take you over the calls. In, in, at that particular meeting, I... What, what kind of things can happen to you if you were to, in your own opinion as a farmer, if you were to make, or landowner, if you were to make something safe, what happens if you're complained? Well, that's the issue. I mean, I, I instance... Uh, uh, an incident that happened four or five years ago, it was down in Dunmanway, where the landowner and the area engineer agreed that the trees and the growth at the side of the road was a danger. They agreed that they would go and cut them. The um, area engineer provided the traffic management while the cutting was being done because it was on a, on a main road. Yes. And all was done lovely until about three days later, another government agency came in and said they didn't agree with us, we're going to report them to the department and going to look for prosecution for doing what was done. And that's, that's the lack of joined up thinking that's putting fear in, in, into landowners and property owners. Mm. And that's creating stagnation. The only way to, to avoid all that is that you do, do nothing. And we, we have this situation like we've never had more people out walking. We've never had more people out cycling and enjoying the countryside. And that's yeah. lovely to see. Yeah. But... You, you make the point about cyclists, and again, I'm thinking of the roads of, say, West Cork, roads yeah. I know reasonably well there between Bandon and Clon, or Bandon and yeah. Eskeen. They are overgrown at the moment. They're yeah. popular for cycling. There are new yeah. rules alone with regard to the amount of space you must give a cyclist, and that's all very fine. But if there's a dirty grid hedge sticking out in front of the cyclist, he or she has to go around it, and they can come straight into the path of an oncoming car. Well, I, I can instance another instance that happened in Glenville about two years ago where a cyclist was on the road and a heavy goods vehicle passed him. But by the time he was gone fully passed, there was another vehicle coming out it's on a narrow road and he veered in and he knocked the cyclist into the ditch, creating significant injuries. Yeah. And that danger was there as well. And we're aware of that. And I, that's what I was calling for, is that we, there needs to be joined up thinking that everyone can buy into and, and, and connect on for safety. All right. John, leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Councillor John O'Sullivan uh, from the Banding Kinsale District, uh, representing Court McSherry, Fine Gael, uh, County Councillor. You know what it's like going around the country roads at the moment because of the crazy weather we've been having, the growth. I mean, my own grass in the back garden is nearly inside in the flipping kitchen and it's not drying up enough for me to cut it. But out of the country briars and ditches and they're all wildly overgrown and it's dangerous for cyclists and walkers and cars and he's there is a health and safety provision under which you can cut a ditch or cut a bit of a hedge to make it safe but there's no template under which you can say well that's dangerous and you can be complained and end up being fined your thoughts are welcome at 0818 96 96 96.
I'm just rem- rem- reminding you back of that message before the news there, the 11 o'clock news. Thanks, Maureen. Uh, your PPS public services card does not count as photo ID, as official photo ID. We got a message in from someone signing themselves, totally confused.com. Went to the post office to collect social welfare. You have to show your card to collect your welfare. So she did that, or he did that. Then wanted to replace the SIM card for their own post mobile. Was told they needed photo ID. So took the card out again and said, here. Uh, no. <laughs> so we can give you your social welfare with your PPS card, which has your photo on it. But we can't change the SIM card in your phone on your public service card because it's not official photo ID. Oh, honestly, only in Ireland. That really is an only and an only in Ireland situation. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now there are many many ways to take a holiday. I do it my way, and you know all about that. Many people do it their way. Some people stay at home. Some people travel, and some people go biking. I mean, motor biking around the country for nearly a week. A couple of was it three or four nights, and you did seven hundred kilometers and had an absolute ball visiting Wicklow and Wexford and Watford. Uh, Victoria and Mary, Mary, Victoria, Alexander and Mary, morning. Good morning. morning. Great, all together, biking chicks. (laughs) 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 So, what a way to do a holiday. You're big into the biking, the two of you, Victoria. Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, Great fun. I've loved it all my life. Um, I met Mary through the biking, and mm. we've become great friends. Yeah. So you decided to head off, Mary? We did, and this is our second time doing it. Last year we did um, Skibbereen, Glengariff, Kenmare, down into Killarney, um, and had a fabulous trip. So this time we said we'd go up the opposite side, mm. and it was fantastic. We were blessed with the weather for the first two days, and we knew we were going to get caught the last day, but sure. We were on the way home, so it was grand. Where did you go and where did you stay, Victoria? Um, we went, we left Carrigaline in Cork and uh, drove up the East Coast. We went through Waterford, Wexford, and our base was Wicklow for two nights. Right. So we did the Sally Gap up there then, Lovely. down into Glendalough. Um, and then we came back down via Kilkenny right. and stayed a night there as well. Right. How much did you, did 700, 700 kilometres in? Uh, in three days. Wow. What's the buzz of it? I've never, and I'm laying my cards on the table here, I've sat on a motorbike once in my life when I got a lift on a backer of a Honda 50. So, I, <laughs> and I was so flipping terrified I never did it again. What's the buzz? Um, it's just the fresh air and like you, you know you're alive. You know, I mean, sometimes your mind can drift when you're in a car, but on the bike you have to be so focused on gravel or the wind or even the weather, checking the weather in advance. So you're very present 
and um, I have a, an open face helmet, so I'm smelling everything, and the sun is shining on your face. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't be going doing top speed now. You go to see what's out in front of you. Would that be right? <laughs> we do the limit. <laughs> we would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'd stay safe enough. Yeah. What are you driving, Mary? So I have a, a Honda 400, but it's modified. So. Um, for styling, we, we sprayed it myself and my husband, Stephen, has a Harley as well for years and years. Right. Um, so we lowered it, we changed the saddle ourselves, we like we covered it in leather, and we took off the front mud guard, which is great, but when it rains, you're soaking yourself as well as everybody else soaking you, you know? So, so it looks grand until the rain comes. Ah, uh, well, the style is very important. <laughs> You know what I mean? And Victoria, what what's under you? Uh, Kawasaki Ninja 250. Right. Um, it's not the most comfortable when you're doing a long, long spin. It can be fairly sore on the old backside. <laughs> but um, I, I get there. I think that bike suits me. I absolutely love it. The wind, the wind in your hair is not an option. Yeah. So... It, it ties in with another com- topic of conversation. I guess you, this was a staycation, as it were. You stayed, I assume, did you stay in hotels, stay in B&Bs? Where did you stay out? Cost of eating out, cost of staying, how much? Expensive? No, we ate very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we really <laughs> land wherever we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was expensive. And I suppose we stayed... In the Bridge House Tavern in Wicklow, nice. and that was that was pretty reasonable, and um, they were really really nice there. And, yeah, but we ate in like really good restaurants. <laughs> Why not? Why um, not? You run your holidays, yeah. And, and so how many times do you want to do Kenny? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where'd yeah. You, where'd you go to Kenny? I know it well. Uh, the Kilkenny Ormond, and we ate in that beautiful Italian next to the left bank. Another one. I know I know yeah. Kilkenny very well. It's a great it's a great town for food. Fantastic. Great yeah. city for food, yeah. Really, really We went good. for a dance then. Mary kills me because I want to go to bed all the time, but yeah. she was like, You have to come and have a dance. Where'd you go for dancing? <laughs> Wellington's I suppose was it? Into the left bank, upstairs in the oh, left there. bank. Yeah. We agree, yeah. crack. Great laugh, all right. So when we park the bikes we throw on the high heels and the dresses and the makeup and off we go. I <laughs> you big luggage cases on the back of the bikes, like there's a lot of stuff down into side bags. I had a backpack. A right. backpack just on my back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I the same but sure you bring too much no matter what your holiday do you know what I mean we put the left half of it at home mm, <laughs> saying nothing saying nothing <laughs> is that a woman thing that. I wonder is that a woman thing I think so I think so I'll be shocked <laughs> listen delighted you enjoyed your your holiday ladies you'd recommend it thank you we Hopefully. definitely would, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on two wheels too, yeah, definitely. <laughs> the photos on Facebook are brilliant. Mary Murphy and Victoria Alexander. Uh, thank you both. A, a different kind of holiday. Simon's doing a big focus on staycations this week in the afternoons. And they are still a thing. We did it when we couldn't travel abroad. We did two visits to Northern Ireland, left the EU, so to speak. And we had an absolute ball up there. Um, two two holidays back to back, but no, I wouldn't be a biker now. Couldn't get a, couldn't you wouldn't get me on a motorbike. I did it once ever. Pal of mine had an old chicken chaser, an old Honda Fifty, and he offered me a lift home, and scared the living bejesus out of me. And I never got up on a motorbike.
<laughs> that did to that to this. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox ninety six FM. Beyonce is selling tickets for her concerts, but they are listening only tickets. So you go to Beyonce's gig, you can't see her. If you buy a ticket to go there and just listen. And just listen. So I make you close your eyes. Even if you wanted to, you can't see her. You could listen to her music on YouTube. And you think that's bad? I got the smelling only tickets. I was just sitting the jacks after she leaves. <laughs> Lorraine and Ross in the morning. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at no DC cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Now back to the trees and the hedgerows and the bushes that with the way the weather's been this summer, many of them are wild and dangerous, but you can't cut them because it's banned by law at this time of the year. So councillor um, councillors were worrying about the possibility of you know bad accidents I spoke before the news to councillor John O'Sullivan of Fine Gael. Um, Peter you wanted to respond to some of what he's been saying morning good morning how are you good very good um, yeah just a few points um, there's a very grey area around um, edge cutting and um, tree care within this time of the year. Um, this Can you get away from that wind, Peter? Is that possible? Yeah, sorry about that. Is that better? Much better, thanks. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of grey areas around this. I mean, the law that's there um, when it was amended in 2018 uh, through the wildlife. Um, so I work in tree care. Um, that's my business. Okay. And I, end, I actually had to ask... Um, um, the Wildlife and Heritage to send me an email of the actual laws surrounding what is possible for me to do because this affects my job for seven months of the year yes. um, and a, a lot more people besides. And basically what he sent me was that uncultivated uh, hedgerows may be uh, tended to. So in other words, any new growth that you have can actually be, be, be maintained. It can be removed but you can't cut like uh, a foot into the hedge. Like you can't, you can't cut your hedge, um, even a cultivated one. Mm. So that's because there are birds nesting inside those hedges as but well. Hey, Peter, I, this is a stupid question, but believe me for a second, I'm a townie. No such thing as a stupid question. <laughs> right. Many mistakes were made because the question wasn't answered, or, or asked Correct. rather. So, mm-hmm. Peter, this, this doesn't um, account or apply to my neighbour's hedge with, with briars growing in it, does it? Um, if there's briars growing in your hedge, I mean, loose briars, I mean, you can, you can certainly cut those. Okay. You know? right. And okay. if you have a tree that, um, like, if there's a dangerous tree that's, that's endangering um, property or life or anything like that, that can be removed. Um, there are ways around it. So if there's a nest in that tree, the wild can actually be contacted and the tree the nest can be removed with great care and the, the eggs and the, the nest can be taken very well uh, can be taken care of right um, there is an expense to that of course but for the most part if a tree surgeon or someone taking care of gardens or landscapers most people look for for um, nests and they look for um, 
um, typical places where birds would nest. Nobody in this profession would go out and just obliterate anything for any reason. Um, so, but there are people who do that. I mean, even late as last week, I've seen farmers flailing hedges, and they're doing that because it, the roads are unsafe. You mm. know, but they're doing it. Um, it's not cultivated. Uh, it's uncultivated um, um, hedgerows that they, they shouldn't be doing it. You know. But they do it, and, and it, there is a safety aspect. I do agree that there's a huge safety aspect with it, but I also think that um, the grey areas tend to um, benefit local authorities because local authorities have it in, and it's in there in the law, which was amended in 2018, that they can, uh, if they're, you know there's a lot of verge works going on at the moment, the council can actually get contractors in to cut hedges, they can cut trees, the problem is that some people aren't doing it right. They're, they're pulling branches off trees with diggers. Um, and that, of course, is an issue. That shouldn't be happening. Um, and you see it all, all over the place where you do have people flailing hedges. Um, and well, what's the, the, what is it, people, that's a technical term. What's flailing a hedge? So, do you know when you're driving down the road and you see a hedge that's been obliteratedly cut, it hasn't been cut properly, the mm. guy with the tractor and he's got the hedge cutter, that, that cutter is actually for verges. That shouldn't be used to cut Oh, trees. this is the, like this, the huge lawnmower attached to the tractor, Correct. right? Correct. That, should, that shouldn't be done with that. I mean, this is why the hedges are destroyed. And, and, and yeah. what's happening is you, you're destroying the habitats doing that for next year. You know, like yeah, you, do yeah. get re, you do get regrowth and you see all the foliage, but what you don't actually see is the damage that's behind those. I think what John was referring to, Councillor Sullivan was referring to, was that if something looks dangerous to you, mm-hmm. it may not be dangerous to somebody else, and there is no template as to what is and what isn't dangerous. Well, there, there actually is. It's, oh. it's, it's common sense. Let's, let's work with common sense here, right? Yeah, but my common it's, sense and your common sense might not be the same thing. There's nothing written down. Well, let's say, for argument's sake, um, the person who doesn't have the common sense uh, has their child or themselves on the road and they get hit by a car because they can't be seen. That'll soon change their common sense. I mean, the very simple fact of the matter is, is that the council are the ones who take care of the, the highways and byways. Mm. And when the road authority is doing that... Councils and local authorities actually have the right within that law to tend to the hedgeways. It's in there. It's written in the law. Okay. That's one of those grey areas okay. that they they can look after that. They're doing it at the moment. Yeah, you know, I see John, around my John did make the point. John made mm. the point that, and he he cited an incident from a couple of years ago where, mm-hmm. with the full cooperation of the county council, a farmer mm-hmm. caught back a, a, a hedgerow that was out into the road and causing a dangerous obstruction. Yeah. Done with the full knowledge and cooperation of the County Council, only to be complained to another government department who of then course. sought to take action. Like, that kind of nonsense needs to stop. Yeah, but you see, around that is the ignorance of knowledge, you know, or the lack of knowledge, let's say. For argument's sake, I was doing a job down in Cove in the middle of June or July there, and... Um, we checked all of the trees to make sure there was no nesting birds. Everything was checked. If there was a live nest, that job would not have been done. So we did this job down in Cove, and out of all the people that passed and said, great job, one person stopped and decided to throw profanities our way and tell us how bad we were because we were cutting down. I was like, the only thing you can say to that is, look, I appreciate your comment, but we're working within the parameters of the law, which is what we were doing because that's why we have these grey areas. Um, and that's why the greys are there to suit the authorities and to suit the people who write these laws because guess what there have to be grey areas in order to be able to work around things like this so if you have 
um, if you have an area that you think is visually impairing motorists or is causing obstruction or danger, there is that law in there. Um, it's Section 40, I think, of the Wildlife Act, the Wildlife and Heritage Act. And there's sub, um, there are um, sub notes there or sub laws there which mm. are written in in the section that you can actually read. So, so, so you can get it covered. from the Wildlife and Heritage. Yeah. You can get it from the Wildlife and Heritage um, um, Department. Okay. They are the people who look after this and they will. They have those laws there. The problem is that when you go out in public and you're, you're throwing around a thing like, it's nesting season now, you can't cut anything. Nobody's allowed to cut anything or you're going to be fined or you're going to be... That's just, again, hearsay where people are just okay. taking word of mouth by other people. If you really want to know what it is, go and look at the actual law. Like, I contacted the wildlife to, to get this so I would have the grey area so that if I do get pulled up by anybody... I literally whip that out of my pocket. It's in it there in the email, and I go, right. okay. "This is the law." So you you work with trees in there. You you mm-hmm. would you you would is it an arb- arboretist you'd be or a arbor- tree, surgeon. tree surgeon? Okay, mm-hmm. good old fashioned mm-hmm. tree surgeon. Yeah. So, but then we so, do lawn care, like garden care, and all okay. that as well. But I mean, we we like because of our insurance is so high, because we have all of these things, we need to know. Sure. What you can and can't do. Here, here's a query, and and I'm just wondering what might happen in a scenario like this. And I mentioned to John that I live on the 220 bus route. So after my house at the top of Maryborough Hill, you go down into Carrigaline, and sometimes mm-hmm. on the double decker buses, you'll get, and you could be sitting on the bus, and there's a smack of a tree mm-hmm. across the top of the bus, or sometimes into the front window of the bus. And on a dark night, that's kind of scary. Now, if you or someone else is called out to bring that tree under control mm-hmm. and there's a nest in it, mm-hmm. what happens? Um, you can actually contact the wildlife and ask for that uh, nest to be removed. I see. But now, you see, that's causing a danger. Yeah, I want to put this in the, in, in, in the context for you, right? That branch is big enough to smash the front window of a bus that somebody's sitting in, which is now, who's liable for that now? Is it the bus driver? Is it the bus company? Is it the council? Is it the road authority? Who Who's liable for it? No, it's, it can't be you. You, didn't, you, don't, you don't know it's there. You didn't drive into it. So the very simple fact of the matter is, is that the council or the road authorities, they have the power to take care of that. Yeah. That's, they, they, their job is to make sure that everybody travels safe on the road. So call the council. And if, if you're not, if you're not traveling safe on the road, yeah, of course they can take care of this. And if they can't, they know someone who can. Right. I mean, if, if they were doing this and and they needed to put in, they need to sort out verges and stuff. They can literally go along and 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 cut um, the verges on the side of the road so that they can put in the new drains and they can put in the new roadworks and they can widen roads and do all of those things. And they can do that within the nesting season because okay. that covers the grey area. But in order to understand these things you need to know about the law and have it in black and white. Okay. And it, it is very loose. It is a very loose law. Should it but be tighter? Is, um, no, I, I think it should be... The problem in, in nowadays, you can't please everybody, but everybody wants to be pleased. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, Peter, can I take that as my quote of the week? You can, of course. The problem <laughs> is you can't please everybody. But nowadays, everyone's, everybody of wants to be pleased. Yeah, but everybody also wants to be involved in everybody else's concern, and they shouldn't do that either. I mean, if if you have professional people doing their professional job, doing it the way they should be doing it, that's how it should be done. And then leave them alone to do that, because, you know, when the plumber comes in, you don't question what he's doing. True. You just let him away with it, because you don't know what you're doing. That's true. You know? And that's why so, you called him in the first place. Peter, yeah, one, exactly. last one, one last one that's come in. I don't know whether you can answer this. If not, somebody will. This person looks after a graveyard in Ballinacurra, I'm assuming a mm-hmm. grave. Um, 
Uh, they were told by a councillor uh, that a woman couldn't get in there because the grass is so high and they couldn't cut the grass or the brambles because of biodiversity, biodiversity policy by the council. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. one knows what to do there. Do you know anything about that? In some, my, some graveyards look I, I'm, very I'm not, I'm not going to quote anything, only I'm going to tell you my opinion. Yeah. Okay, on that. My yes. opinion is that that is cultivated land. Mm-hmm. It, it can be continued to be cultivated and maintained, right. just like your hedge in your house. If it's uncultivated land, it cannot be, but it isn't uncultivated land as far as I would be aware. And if it's cultivated, it should be maintained. Right. Now, it's different if you have someone on the side of a road who's grown, like, um, on the way into band and there you've got all the wild flowers and all that. Yeah. No one's going to go cutting that. But this is a whole different situation. I mean, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a moral obligation for somebody to be able to get to their place of, of their loved one's rest. And I think that should be the way it should be. I mean, briars and bam, brambles and all that. I mean, how many birds are out there are going to go to those brambles uh, just to eat the blackberries off them? Two birds are going to eat all the brambles? I mean, that's just nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense at all. So I would just take a second tour and just do that myself. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, but yeah, that's, I, this I, is an opinion I, I want, Peter, in your yeah, title. Well, if I, if I want to go there, there's not a lot... Like, there are people out there who want to agree with what I'm saying yeah. because they have their own opinion and they have their own um, um, belief systems or whatever they want to believe. But that is the law. And the law is that if it's if it's uncultivated, you can't. And if it's cultivated, you still can, but within reason and within common sense and within mora- morals and you know your your own personal um, take on everything. I mean, we can't just um, adhere to other people's, you know, whatever they pander to. Like you just can't do that. Peter, so, every so often we get a caller to this show who is a rock of sense, and, and, and you were that for today. Do, oh, well, I appreciate that, but you not please, everybody will agree. I'm going to, I'm going to <laughs> let you have an opportunity to give me the name of your business so that people can go to you. It's uh, Southwest Logging. Southwest Logging. Peter, thank you for that. Such a, a fabulous call. Works at the business, and there's logic there, there's law there, there's sense and meaning there. A lot of stuff can be gotten around this thing about you can't cut a hedge between March 1st to September 1st. Yeah, fine. It's there. But there's there's a lot more to it than that. Thank you very much, Peter. I love that. That's, that's it. We said, um, you can't please everybody. But these days, everybody wants to be pleased. Oh, I like that. Frank says, can they go in then and cut and tidy the famine graveyard? You mean Cars Hill, I assume, John? Or Frank, rather. Yeah, I don't see why not. Of course, that, that is council land, isn't it? It is. I don't see why not. And this thing about graveyards being overgrown and no one will tend them and no one will cultivate them because of biodiversity, in inverted commas. Well, if I'm listening to a Peter, and I think I was listening closely to Peter, that's nonsense. Because the land in a in a graveyard is cultivated land and you can trim and treat cultivated land so if your loved one's grave is surrounded by briars and nettles and all that old crack you can tend that land you can and people do bring out the lawnmower or bring out the strimmer whatever and they clean up graveyards and they get in trouble now because Leave that alone for biodiversity. I can't get at my dad's great. Leave it alone for... No, 
Peter says you can actually do that because it's cultivated land and you're entitled to cultivate it. Noreen says, I have a bird-friendly garden and I give the birds raisins. They love them. Is that just the only thing you do, Noreen? Is there more to it? Like, do you just give them, do you just give them raisins? Mm. Do you know what the fun thing to do? And I'm probably wrong and I'll probably have someone going, oh, you shouldn't do that. Do you know what the funniest thing to do? And I mean funny because there's so much crack to watch, right? If you get, a, you know, the hot roast chicken that you get from the shop and you put in sandwiches and rolls and into your, in, into your salad and whatever, I love one of those, the rotisserie, you know those. When you're done with that, right, in its little silver tray, leave the carcass, put the carcass out, on a table on the deck or on a bird table or whatever you have, on a little picnic table, leave it there at the time the birds are around and watch. Just watch. They'll savage the thing. It's brilliant. We had, um, was it starlings? Yeah, starlings. Starlings and magpies. Magpies. Love chicken. And they were, we put, I mean, I'd put them out, the carcasses out for fun. Um, and they come and they rub big tearing big lumps of chicken off the bone. It's great. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Why did I, how the hell did I get to do that? Okay, putting your photos in the cloud. It's normal now. You take no one carries cameras anymore. At least I no ordinary people. If you like, no ordinary Joe carries a camera anymore. I haven't carried a camera even on holidays. I haven't brought a camera in ten years. It's all on my phone. Um, and of course, when they're on their phone, then your phone gets full. So you have cloud space, and all the cameras are uploaded into the, or all the photos are uploaded into the cloud. Maybe Google Photos or Apple or whatever you have. It's there. That's that's how we do things. And so much stuff is held in the cloud. And John Arnold, who writes a column in The Echo, is a little bit concerned about what's going on in that cloud. I'll talk to John next. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Here's some of the winners from the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Best of Cork Awards. Best of all is now. Best gym. Dennehy's Health and Fitness. Best restaurant. Son of a bun. Best hotel. The Montanali Hotel. Best burger. Decent Munch. Best pizza. Oak Fire Pizza. Best business Instagram. Madra Makeovers. Are you ready, ready? The best of Cork Awards 23. The best of Cork Awards 23. You're the best. Only on Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. John Arnold, you'll be a man who would have started life doing everything with paper and pen and maybe a typewriter. Then you had to learn to type. Then you had to discover what the crowd is or the cloud is and you're you're you've been writing in the echo this week about how concerned you are about what exactly is up there in that cloud good morning yeah you see pj yeah i suppose yeah yeah learning with pen and paper and learning to type kind of badly enough i still can only do it with one finger of my uh, left hand but yeah i suppose it's amazing when i was writing that tonight 
little did I think that, you know, they'd be talking about the security of systems yesterday. We had an example, was this the day before, in the north of Ireland, where a whole heap of information yes. of the police force was yes. unveiled last year. We had a huge thing happen here with the HSE, a huge amount of patient detail and all that stuff was unveiled. And you see, I, I, I don't know that because I'm just technically absolutely illiterate as regards, like, what what exactly? I'm, 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 I'm looking up now at the clouds and I see grey clouds and white clouds and blue clouds and people are trying to kind of explain to me that this, this cloud that holds all this information is not a physical fluffy thing, oh, isn't it? So what is this? Well, it's, it's, it's nothing really, but it's so nothing. Well, really, it is. It isn't so, nothing. I remember being out, John, John years ago, out in a, a factory that shall remain nameless that made working parts for the cloud. And I remember asking the MD out there was Fine Corkman. I said to him, "What is the cloud? What exactly is a cloud?" And he yes. said, "Come here to me. Come on." And he, I went down a long corridor with him, and he brought me into a whole corner of the factory. He said, "This is our cloud that we'd run everything on." It was a room, like maybe five times the size of the one I'm in right now. Wall-to-wall computers and servers. He said, everything we do, everywhere in the country, everywhere in the world, it all comes back to here. That's so what cloud is. is probably, cloud is probably a bit of an unfortunate name for PJ, because the minute you mention the word cloud, you look up and you think of something fluffy, something inanimate. We think of heaven being in the clouds, and we think of people when they die going up yeah. in the clouds. So, so using the word cloud, I mean, you're, you're the first living human being now that has actually explained to me in words what it is, that it's actually a physical place. I, I, I didn't think I thought it was... I didn't know what it was, because yeah. nobody ever explained it. They're massive it. computers. Yeah. Basically, yeah, a but, cloud but, is a massive yeah, computer. And, 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 and and obviously the problem with them is where you store a huge, and I mean it is massive amount of information in the same place, there is always the danger, like happened unfortunately with someone in the north of the day, someone pressed the wrong button and hey presto, the information was given out to people that shouldn't have got the information. But like the fear I have is if, if the place was hacked or if the place was attacked or if mm. the place was bombed or if the large service we were without electricity or if it got flooded, is all that information in? Is there a backup somewhere? Is there a copy on, on the echo yesterday? Now, I had a photograph of my great great grandmother. She was born in 1826 and she died in 1902. And she posed with a kind of a sauna face in 1897 for a photograph. Now, that, now please God, she's in the clouds. She's in heaven, I hope. Not in, not in some <laughs> computer storeroom. I hope she's in heaven. But her, but her photograph isn't in any cloud. Her photograph is at home. Yes. It was under my aunt's bed for years inside a, a, a Whitaker's chicken box. But it's in home. I had it in my hand the other day, the photograph. Like, and I'd much prefer to have the photograph at, at home in my hand yeah. rather than be relying on something. Now, like, the problem that I can see, maybe, maybe, look, maybe I'm thinking of problems that are not there. You mentioned while ago about people taking more and more and more photographs. They don't put them into albums. We still do that. We're probably old-fashioned. But more and more people have photographs on their phones. And, like, like if, if somebody presses the wrong button, you delete, you delete. And they're gone. You, you can't go back like and go get the negative and take it into the chemist to get it. Well, printed. you see, John, that's why you gone. have, in, the, in terms of the phone, that's, that's why you have a cloud. Because I have photos on my phone that they're from, from five years ago, from holidays. They're not on my phone anymore. They're in the cloud. But my, they're and, accessed from the cloud using my phone kind of thing. And, and, and would you be happy enough that the security, that there's no fear that they could get deleted? And I'm not saying anybody would well, want I, to delete see, I, I pay for cloud about. space. I pay for cloud space, John, and, and I'm happy enough that it's looked after. Do you know what I mean? 
and but but like my fear, maybe 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 it's a, an an inordinate fear. My fear is, you know, like just if you had mechanical breakdown, if you had computer breakdown, mm. if you had anything like that, all that could be like the danger about putting. Do you know the old phrase? Don't put all your eggs into one basket. Good well, point. What you're what you're doing with the cloud is you're putting eggs. Sausages, rashes, fruit, every second uh, thing you have uh, in uh, one basket. Uh, like every bit of technology is being stored. And and like, I presume now again, and I'm not very off here, I presume these people that are out there that are hackers, they're looking for information, they're looking for bank details, all the people that are doing scams every every week. We hear them people sending texts and sending emails, mm. you know, fraudulent. I presume they're continually trying to have a stuff from that cloud, there from that cloud. With, with, I won't say with extreme success, but every now and then they have... They, they, they hate to be going. They do get a lot of information. That's the, that's the fear I'd have. I just <laughs> now I know you'll probably say, but John, we can't all be printing our photographs and we can't all be keeping stuff at home. But why, like, do you create like twenty thousand photographs every year? Do you create if you had them at home? Would you have fifty boxes full of them or something like that? I don't, I don't know. You see, I suppose I'm old fashioned. I was born in the last century. I remember. Mm-hmm. I was born in the last century, like, and I mean, maybe I, I just hacked back to things. So, so, so was I, John. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that makes us that makes us value. Yeah, you see, like, I mean, I, if so. What on earth? As John, are you, are you sucked into the cloud there? There was a noise on your line. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, where I am, actually, you're talking about the the, 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 the story you had while ago. I'm actually here in the graveyard in Rakamuk. I was just down at our ancestors' grave. I was looking at the oldest headstone there. It's a person, an Arnold person, dated 1687, so there's a bit of a wind blowing through the graveyard. So that's why there's uh, probably a little bit of interference at the moment. But, the, but, the, but then I suppose you'd say, people say, but so wasn't he talking a fucking mobile phone? He wasn't at home, so if he's talking a mobile phone, no, I have a very, very fash- old-fashioned mobile phone, one of the little black Nokia's was made in the last century as well. I wouldn't dream of getting a smartphone because I just imagine if I got a smartphone, I'd be addicted and I'd be reading novels and papers and sports and so on. So I'm, I'm happy with a phone that I can send the message you, and I can John, get a text and talk to intelligent people like you. you know? uh, they're telling me here that you're making an awful lot of sense and making some very, very good points about the cloud. And yeah. Fergal's reminding me here that he was talking to a, a professional photographer about this whole thing and you know you work in newspapers professional photography has now gone to the point where I am I'm a newspaper photographer if I if I and I go downtown and I take a photograph that photograph goes from my camera to the news desk in the snap of your fingers Mm. that's all done using the cloud yeah, yeah, and I suppose that's, that's probably one. That's probably one of the advantages of it. I suppose that advantage that everything is done so quick, quick time. You don't have to be developing it. You don't have to be taking it physically. You don't have to be posting. You don't have to be emailing it. That's the advantages of it. No, no. You see, maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I'm afraid of the unknown. But I, I don't think you are, John. And yeah, Sean yeah. says he loves listening to you because you're not afraid to say something that others would be afraid to say because they worry about looking a bit stupid. But no, you're not actually. John, I think you're making an awful lot. Like, for example, if, if I take interviews, I would use my phone. I go to an event. I spent years interviewing people, first on tape, then on mini disc, then on other things. I can now go, Here's, how's this for you? I could go down to your house, John, do an interview with, interview with you at your kitchen table. And before I'm back in the car, Fergal is editing the interview here in the desk. And would you be able to do that even if it was a cloudy day and there was black clouds in the sky? I you can would? do it in the dark in a basement. 
<laughs> Once I have a signal. Once I have a signal. Yeah, and look, I suppose, and like, and I suppose that's all fabulous, and that's all uh, fantastic. Because it says, it says but, me driving. But, 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 and yeah, but, 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 where will it stop? Like, I mean, it's linked to artificial intelligence and all these things. Yes. Where will it stop? And, and I suppose nobody knows. But I mean, the other point I was making in that piece I wrote the other day was like, if we keep inventing stuff like this, and a lot of it is terribly beneficial, I know, now for detecting diseases and all that, but if we keep inventing stuff at this rate, cloud and artificial intelligence, will we be redundant? Will we, we, we keep well, it? Well, no. There's a thing. Yeah? There's a like, thing. If, if, if you've artificial intelligence, which means you get a computer or a zombie or something or a cloud to think and have its own intelligence, and now they can do essays. If you ask an artificial intelligence yoke to write uh, something in the style of Shakespeare, Again. within two or three minutes, it's never written for you. Like, what, what's, what's, what's the point in you trying to be thinking? What's the point in you addling? Remember the way you'd addle your brain long ago? Someone asked you, somebody said, one second, now you put your hand up to your forehead and you'd say, wait, now one second, one second. I have it, I have it, I have it. Aye. And you'd, be, you'd, you'd bring it back from the recesses of your brain. It was in there, but it's like a little bit of time to get it out. But I mean, will all that be redundant in the future now? Because you don't need... Why would you be bothered doing all that now? Why would you, but then, like, if you take that to its ultimate end, what's the business of human beings and the world? Should so want everything, can't everything be done without them, right? Do you know something, John? You're, not, you're, you're, you're right on so many levels because yeah. even this job that I do, the, yeah. the technology will be there in... And it's probably there now that when I go on holidays... Yeah. I won't even need Gareth to yeah, sit here. How, should, how, many people, <laughs> uh, how many people are saying that already? Should any fool could do what PJ is doing? Uh, well, they're, not say, they're not saying he's a fool now. Like, they're not saying he's a fool. Like, no, but I think a, a computer will eventually be yeah. able, be able yeah. to do it. You and, know? and you know the way computer-generated voices, they can generate voices and they sound every bit as good. Now, 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 now maybe, we're, maybe we're passing and analysing it too much. Maybe we're thinking ahead of ourselves. But the reason I'm thinking ahead of myself is I think it's good to be thinking ahead of yourself while our brains are still able to think because I can see a generation in a couple of years' time, they say your brain is the size of a wall. No? And it's like a bicycle. If you don't lose it, you, if you don't use it, you lose it and your brain is the same. But in a couple of years' time, will brains be the size of a matter of fact well, well, Will they get smaller and smaller? Well, now, there's a thing, you, 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 said, need, you won't need to use them. What do you need memory for? You don't need memory. Oh, memory you know, you're John, you're after hitting one of my favourite subjects. You say yeah. you have, you say you have just an old-fashioned phone, but I imagine there are dozens of numbers in it, right? Yeah, a couple hundred. Yeah. Couple hundred numbers. Same with mine. Would you think, John? Because I know this to be a fact, and I'm working in journalism for thirty-something years. Our memory for stuff like telephone numbers. Awful, is gone awful. to pot because yeah, yeah, we don't yeah, have yeah. to remember them anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I suppose I'm an exception in tough hours. If you ask, I, I long before with the phone, I couldn't remember the number of our car. I, I can't remember. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know my wife's phone number. I mean, I know her birthday, but I would not. So I'm, I, I'm, but that's because I'm just. But you don't very have bad. to know. No, you see, no, but you don't have to know. Yeah, that's it. You yeah, don't I mean, have to. And, yeah, and, and I mean, sure, if you ask any, and I'm not criticizing young people now, but if you ask young people. Most questions now, and they say, well, they'll come up with the answer straight away because they can Google it, can't they? I mean, Mr. Google I, could I, tell you everything like I huh? was getting a bit of Chinese nosh the other night, John. Uh, this is a lo- lovely story. And the, the young girl in, in, the, in the Chinese, she was amazed. We had a good laugh together. So the, the bill for the Chinese for, for all of us at home came to, I think, 5140 or something anyway like that. And I had yeah. cash in my wallet. I was paying, paying with cash. And I handed her... Um, 60. Uh, yes, and I, I told her what to give me back. 
And she looked at me and she goes, what? And I said, I'm giving you that and you give me, you, you give me the two, whatever. I gave her the yeah. change and I did the calculation in my head and I said, yeah. and she put it into the till. She said, how did you do that? You're and right. I said, and You're I said right, yeah. because I learned it in school. Yeah. Really? You know, yeah. and, and those are skills. And look, oh, don't you know, plan, yeah, I don't want to sound uh, like an old man shout, yeah. shouting at the, at the mm. sky, but oh. those, are, those skills are gone. Oh yeah, because uh, even in my and I'm not that old, but I remember being in shops and you'd present seven items, and they could ju- you say two and eleven and four and nine pence, three and eight pence, four and six pence, two and three pence, four and six pence, two and eleven pence, and they tossed it up mentally and and bang yeah. Like I know you'd often see people doing. I have them at home long lists from a local shop where they have made it up in pencil, but if there's only five or six items, they just make it up in their head, and nobody would question the veracity of it because you'd. And, and that was at a time when there was twelve pennies in a shilling and two hundred and forty pence in a pound. It was way more complicated. It wasn't uh, factors of ten now, but. Uh, I just don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know where we're going. I don't know. John, I don't know. You, it's, yeah. it's the end of the week, and I know I've yeah. no doubt that yeah. if we were earlier in the week, you'd have started a massive conversation. I'm yeah. delighted yeah. to chat with you. Okay, and, and we'll talk again sometime. We yeah. will oh. indeed, sir. John, John Arnold. Um, John, another Sean says that you know he's right. He's right. Memory's gone, and all and all that. Um, and and because we're not using it anymore. Um, lastly and briefly Michael Michael, uh, just on where we started this morning poverty and food banks and talking to hemp down at Feed Cork you had a point to make briefly John or Michael to, to finish out the week for us morning uh, PJ good morning and uh, welcome back thank you you were missed but uh, you had a great team there keep things going yes well look I, I was just making the point you know bearing in mind many small premises uh, restaurants and coffee shops are finding it very difficult to keep going nowadays. So I can see uh, their interest in retaining the lower VAT rate. But the other point I was just hoping to get across there without trying to offend anybody is, you know, more and more people are beginning to find it more and more difficult to pay their normal bills, to feed their children, to get them ready for school, to put basic food items on the table. And this is no reflection on these hardworking people. It's just a reflection of the times we are in. So for many of those unfortunate people, PJ, I think we must kind of try to remember Mm. that for them to go into a coffee shop and have a tea and a coffee, it might be a luxury that is just beyond their capabilities at this point in time. And it's well for us to complain about it because we still are lucky enough to be well, able to do it. But yes. for those who can't, it's even Absolutely, worse. and I think we have to try to remember. And it's absolutely fantastic that you have places like Penny Dinners and that other establishment you mentioned this morning. Yeah, I course. missed it. But when you have those around who are there to really help those who genuinely need some assistance. So while, while we appreciate the difficulties that the restaurants and particularly the small coffee shops are facing, but we also have to remember that there are those who just cannot get to the the price of a tea or a coffee. And it's it's an unfortunate reflection on our society. And when we realize that the government are showing so much profit and having so so many billions in surplus, and yet we have people who are genuinely struggling. Most unfortunate. I will leave you there, end of the week. I've no doubt that these are topics that will come back to us. Michael Moriarty, thank you. Yeah, there are AI radio DJs in Canada. Spotify has a DJ. Now, and listen, look up something. Look something up, right? This is in the context of AI now and John and all that. There's a version of Gangster's Paradise 
being sung by Frank Sinatra, which has been generated by artificial intelligence. I kid you not. I will try to find it for you and maybe have it on Monday. But they've now taken Gangster's Paradise, used AI to make Frank Sinatra sing it. Look it up. It's out there. I heard the clip during the week. It's bizarrely scary, actually. Really is. Bernie says, John talks so much sense. While we do need technology for certain things, we also need to take our heads out of our smartphones. Probably too late for that one, Bernie, but a valid point. Um, 0818 96 96 96. I think that's about it. From Brendan. My father is 85 this year. He's hale and hearty. He has zero numbers or zero names saved in his phone but recognises every number that he needs to ring, knows it off by heart, or if someone rings him, he knows the number in his head. Mr. Arnold's comment about exercising the brain is spot on. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.